It's Kendrick Oakley here with Real Life Church, and this is our weekly podcast. Hey, enjoy this word. We're on a series titled House Fires. We kicked it off last week, and um, and now we're on part two. And uh, you can go back and listen to it on our podcast. Um, we share that link often, or if you have uh, Apple, you can uh, find that in, in iTunes. Um, and so now we're going to go, we're going to dive deeper uh, into this series. And we didn't want to just preach and teach. Last week was an introduction. Now we actually want to talk from our lives more. So we'll hear from uh, the Wilsons this month as well as they come and unpackage from their home. It's going to be powerful next week. Uh, and so let's talk about this. Um, what I want, what we want to discuss today, and, and prayfully more of a conversational dialogue, um, is building kingdom homes. Okay, building kingdom homes. And as I said last week, there's this there's been this urgency in my heart for a while um, to see God move in the home or uh, for us to respond to what God desires to do in the home. Um, because right now Christians are upset that that we've kicked God out of the schools. And I don't think that he has a place in the majority of believers homes. Like a place place. Not that we just profess Christianity, but he has a place and he's dwelling in the homes. That is his heart and that is his desire. And so if what God is doing in the church, the gathered church, um, does not translate into the home, then nothing that happens in the church can be sustained. Everything that God does is only sustained in the home. Last week, I talked about the home being the bridge. The fruit of the church is produced in the home. In other words, if we were to say how fruitful is our church being, we only can look to the home to see how fruitful our church is being. We can't look here. We can't tell here. It's not about attendance. It's not, oh, look, everybody's serving. Everyone has their hands raised because we can do that and go home and still cuss each other out. And still live like and the kingdom hasn't transferred or translated into our home. So the fruit of what we do here is produced in the home. Listen, the fruit of the home is produced in the earth. The reason why we're not seeing much fruit of the kingdom produced in the earth is because it doesn't come from the church to the earth. It comes from the home and the family unit and where God has placed you in your career, in your employment, that the kingdom begins to spread into those territories. So instead of saying world come here, we say we get equipped and we are coming to you because the reality is is the kingdom is already in every place if the kingdom resides on the inside of all of us we ain't preaching today we teach it let me calm down so here's the goal for the series the goal for the series is to see every home functioning as the church in other words everything that we do here we should see happening in our homes well what do you mean i'm talking about prayer I'm talking about we worship here. This should not be the only worship service you have all week. This should not be the only worship music you have all week. This should not be the only worship environment or atmosphere that you are exposed to all week. Our houses should be houses of worship. Our houses should be houses of prayer. Now what happens if we get every home praying and worshiping together? It's going to begin to impact the world around us. This should not be the only place you do communion. Uh, I don't got time. (laughs) Let me talk about this. 
I'm so passionate about that in this season. Do this as often as you do it. And remember, what better way to, to reveal the gospel to our children for them to hold his body and to see his blood and us to be able to explain the power of the crucifixion and the resurrection and the new life. I wish we could calculate how many times we eat and say how many of those meals should, should include communion in our homes. Everything we're doing here, we should be translating into the home. So last week we ended with, with three points. We want to kind of start there this week. Liz is going to list those points. Okay, so the big three points we ended with last week and that are really key to building a kingdom home is the first one, we are not building our homes for ourselves. We are building it for him. Uh, 1 Kings 8.13 says, I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Uh, The next point, your home is a part of his mission. So we have to remember that we can't bypass our homes on our way to our destiny. Our destiny flows out of our homes. If we're not living out prayer and the word and worship and things like that in our home, we can't over have that overflow into the community or into the body and so it starts at home that is our first mission and then we can go out into the church and into our communities Um, and then the third point our homes become his dwelling place when he becomes our dwelling place psalm 91 1 says he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide or remain under the shadow of the almighty and so whenever He is our dwelling place. He overflows into our home, and he is then able to overflow into our children and our spouses and um, just bring that peace that Holy Spirit can come in when he is our dwelling place. So on your notes, write down this point. It's on the screen. um, Establishing the kingdom in our home. Establishing the kingdom in our home. This is the first point that we want to deal with. Um, first off, we have to begin to um, we have to begin to see the church. There's this this church mentality and this kingdom mentality. Um, and the question that we have to ask is: Do do I reason the church out of the kingdom, or do I reason, Am I trying to reason the kingdom out of the church? Uh, let me just say this: The kingdom and the church are 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 different. Okay. The church is the vehicle of the kingdom, but it is not the kingdom. The kingdom is broader than the church. I believe one of the biggest issues, what gospel did Jesus preach? What message did Jesus preach? He went about preaching the message of the kingdom. Repent for what? The kingdom of God is at hand. As you look, what all the parables he gave, the kingdom of God is like. It's like a man that found a treasure in a field and went and sold everything he had and bought the entire field. The kingdom of God is like leaven. The kingdom of God is like the kingdom of God. He was trying to paint the picture. You don't see the word church even pop up. Even when he said, on this rock, I will build my church. He said, ecclesia, and it was a governmental kingdom word. It was not a religious word because the church did not exist yet. And so a lot of times what we are trying to do is we're trying to reason the kingdom out of the church instead of seeing the church as a vehicle of the kingdom. This is going to be important for us to understand because if we don't understand it, then what happens is we have religious homes that don't reflect the kingdom. 
busy homes that don't reflect the kingdom because all we see is religion and all we see is church. But the kingdom ex- is, extends beyond the church and the church is a vehicle. So we have to test what we're reasoning, and how we're reasoning. So what we're talking about when we're talking about I'm going fast because there's a lot of content I want to cover. What we're talking about is is that we're not building our homes the way of the world. We're building our homes the way of the kingdom and the way of the king. If there is a kingdom, there is a king, and whatever he says goes. He's not a president. There ain't no checks and balances. Come on. He is a king. He's a king, and he has a kingdom, and we're citizens of his kingdom, and we're here as ambassadors to actually take that kingdom and see it expressed in the earth. Here's what Psalms 127 says. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. We must see that temporally and eternally. Temporally, I can speak from our journey and our experience that we start building the walls and we start building the roof. We're like, oh, yeah, we were getting on the second floor. And the Lord's like, nope. Back at the foundation. Because there's things in the foundation that I'm still doing, that I'm still building, that I'm still removing. I must be the foundation of this home. And we, oh, okay, we ready. Nope, back to the foundation. So temporally, we must see that there were so many seasons where we were building, but we were building in vain. And therefore, we were building in vain because the Lord was not building our house. I believe that God loves us enough that he going to keep tearing walls down until he's the one that builds them. I would rather still be on the foundation with Jesus than on the 10th floor without him. Come on, somebody. Hmm. We also must see this eternally. That we can build whatever we are trying to build on earth and then see Jesus and all of it was pointless. Don't talk about it. Keep going. Here's the goal. I'm doing good, y'all. This is, this is some self-control right here. Here's the goal. Homes that carry the culture of the kingdom by expressing the values of the kingdom. Let me say it again. Homes that carry the culture of the kingdom by expressing the values of the kingdom. Here's some questions that we can ask. How much of the culture in my home reflect the values of the kingdom? <laughs> How much of the culture in my home, in our homes, reflect the values of the king? How much of the culture in our home reflect the word of the king and the way of the king? How much of the culture in our home actually reflect, express, and manifest the word of God? If someone were to stay in our home not knowing we are Christian, would they encounter the kingdom of God by encountering the values of the kingdom? This is about taking the values of the kingdom and expressing them. That people come in and they encounter his values. Listen, before they, before they know Jesus, before they love Jesus, they need to encounter the way of Jesus. This is a big problem with our evangelism is we are expressing the way of the world and then trying to introduce them to the king that we aren't representing. 
Before you hear me say the name Jesus, you are going to encounter his culture and the culture is going to be so, don't stand up, Kendrick Oakley, stay in this seat. The culture is going to be so different than anything you have ever encountered, you're going to wonder what kingdom is this? I want to express his kingdom and his values in such a way that you are eager to meet the king of this kingdom. A home can be religious and not reflect the kingdom. It can have religious activity and not actually reflect the kingdom at all. And we become busy. And what I've seen generationally is it never works. Preacher's kids grow up and don't want anything to do with Jesus. Because they lived in an environment that was religious, but the culture that they were living in did not reflect the religion that they were professing. So we're saying we want people to come into our homes and encounter a culture and an environment that is opposite of the world and opposite and different than anything they have ever encountered before. That when they come into our homes, they're they're going to encounter love. They're going to encounter forgiveness. They're going to encounter transparency. They're going to encounter generosity instead of stinginess. See, see, one of our major goals and purposes as believers is to counteract the culture of the world. To not drop to the level and express what they're expressing. That instead of stinginess, we're expressing generosity. That they're coming to our homes and they're going to encounter grace instead of punishment. They're going to encounter faith instead of doubt. They're going to encounter rejoicing instead of complaining. Come on, somebody. Because I complain at my house, so what's the difference in your house if you are representing a kingdom? And y'all complain here too? Y'all hold grudges here too? You're going to encounter joy instead of depression. You're going to encounter purity instead of perversion. You're going to encounter understanding instead of judgment. So, so we're asking, the, are y'all okay? We're okay? We're good? Does my home reflect the kingdom that I represent? This allows us to evaluate. If you evaluate from religious perspective, you're just going to ask, do I go to church? Do I love Jesus? Do I? But if you're evaluating from the kingdom, you must ask, does the way that we talk to each other reflect the values of this kingdom? Does, does the way that we manage our time reflect the values of this kingdom? Does the way that we discipline our kids reflect the values of the kingdom or reflect what my parents did? Does, listen, does the way we interact with our kids reflect the values of the kingdom? Does the way we manage our money reflect the values of the kingdom? So let's get practical a little bit. So I just wanted to share um, some of the things that we do in our home to bring in, um, you know, the kingdom. We have some uh, culture values and a scripture that we put in place. Um, I think we did this like two years ago when we first bought our house. And it's just something that brings us back to and reminds us, did we actually follow God's word today. It's not a law, something that, you know, if we don't follow, that person's kicked out of the house, but it's something that just brings us back to at night, we can reflect, did we make our home a safe place? Did we make our home a loving place? And so for us, we have these in our home, and our scripture is 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. 
And so we want our home to be a place that our kids don't have to fear, that they feel loved, and that they have sound minds, that they don't feel cluttered and chaotic and like there's, you know, like there's too much going on. So we put that scripture in place. And then along with that, we have values um, that go along with that scripture um, to make our home a place of safety. And they're kind of uh, bent up. They are kind of in our bathroom above our um, bathroom like our tub you jacuzzi gotta, tub you gotta tell all that now come on now <laughs> and so the kids they have bubble baths and they splash all over this so anyways um it, we want our home to be a place of safety a home a place of peace and a place of affirmation and so this is something that we always are just able to go back to that reminds us did we make our play our, our home a place of peace or of safety and those are just things that you can implement practically in your lives to bring in um, a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit to come in. Um, and then even our boys have their own declarations, uh, value statements that um, Pastor put in for the, put in place for them. And he wrote out, and they declare these each night, um, you know, and it just kind of brings them back to them knowing who they are, who God made them to be, who they're supposed to be, even in the midst of them acting crazy during the day. Um, you know, the number one is we will love God with all of our hearts. And they declare these, they're starting to memorize them. Um, number two, we will obey our parents because they love us and we trust them. Uh, number three, we will treat our brothers how we want to be treated. We will love and help each other. And that one I had to use on them this morning. They were fighting all morning. And so in the car on the way here, I said, what does your value statement say? And they said, we will treat our brothers how we want to be treated, and we will love and help each other. And so it's just something that helps them come back to, this is how I'm supposed to be. This is who God made me to be, not to fight my brothers, not to hate one another, but to love. And number four, we will take each day as an opportunity to learn and grow. And five, we will serve God with our lives to impact the world around us. And so those are just some examples of things that you could do, and we want to encourage you guys to just, you know, as a family, sit down together and discuss what do we want to value in our family? What is something that we value, a scripture that really speaks to what our family's purpose is, what our mission is, um, and just something that will help you guys come together at the end of the day, you know, no matter how crazy your day was, no matter how many times you yelled at each other or just, you know, disagreed, it's something that you can come back to and come together in agreement in at the end of the day. Yeah, um, I don't know if we're going to stick to this. She was sparking some stuff. This, to establish these type of things are so important. For example, she said, at the end of the day, we're able to reflect and say, was our home a safe place? Was it a home of peace today? Right? It's not a law, right? We're not beating ourselves up when we lay in bed, but we say, okay, we're able to evaluate. A lot of times we don't have values of the kingdom, so we can't evaluate nothing. So we just go with whatever it is, and it just becomes normal. It becomes normal, but, you, but your normal does not mean it's God's way. It just has become common. It's become normal. Let me say this about peace in a safe place. is It's so important that you, you, you focus on those kingdom values because the kingdom can't be established where there's not safety and peace. Where, 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 we, where the environment has to be okay for us to be vulnerable enough to take this journey together. If I can't be vulnerable, the kingdom can't be established. Because the kingdom can't be established where there's withholding. 
where I'm withholding my love, I'm withholding my thoughts because I think that you're going to get mad at my thoughts, I'm withholding whatever it may be. The kingdom can never be established until there's an openness to where there's full vulnerability to be authentically yourself for the kingdom of God to come in. Where there are masks and walls and barriers in our hearts and our mind, the kingdom hasn't got there yet. So in order for us to get into those places, we have to create an environment where those walls come down. So all that we're talking about, the kingdom being expressed, you have to think about the environment that has to be conducive for the kingdom to be expressed and established in that place. That's why you can't uh, grow oranges here, because the environment isn't conducive for that, right? So there's certain environments that are conducive to grow certain things. And when we're talking about values, Elizabeth was able to say, guys, what do we value? Instead of them growing up with just an agenda or a to-do list, when it's, when it's a to-do list from mom and dad, then I do this because of mom and dad. But when it's a value in my own heart, values break barriers. Values go beyond an action. You see what I'm saying? If it's just an agenda, then I'm going to do this and I'm going to beat around the bush in every other area. If it's a value, then it's going to affect everything. If I'm if I'm supposed to treat my brothers as the way that I want to be treated and love and help them, then when I get into a church family, I'm going to treat them brothers and sisters. You see what I'm saying? Because a value goes beyond just that natural point. And so value based is so important that you're establishing values because values will eventually become their values. And if it's their values, they'll live out of that value. We value this. Well, why do you do this, that, and the other? Well, because in our home, we valued that. We valued that. So let's define the kingdom. The kingdom is wherever, well, write it down, because maybe we will do, maybe we, Daniel, need question to answer with this whole series. Um, the kingdom is wherever his rule and his reign is manifested. That's where the, the kingdom isn't some, right? It's wherever his, his, his rule and his reign and his will is manifested. So before the kingdom can come into an environment that we occupy, it has to be in our soul because the kingdom is is expressed out of us into an environment. So what am I saying? I'm saying the first step to all of this is the kingdom of God being established in individuals. If it is not, then we will have to control each other because the kingdom of God is not being established in each other. I trust that God's kingdom is being established here. There's many things I don't have to bring to her attention because the kingdom of God is at work in my wife. The Holy Spirit is at work in my life, in her life. She's she's growing in truth. She's going to hear truth. It doesn't mean that we don't hold each other accountable, but I no longer have to control her and I no longer have to change her. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Because God came into our home in 2016 and his kingdom came into our home in 2016. And when his kingdom came into our home in 2016, it came not into a house, thankfully, because we don't live there anymore. Come on, somebody. Wherever you go, the culture goes. The kingdom did not come into a physical home. It came into the people that occupy that home. The kingdom of God, his rule, his reign, not that we're perfect, but what happened in 2016 is something happened in our hearts where we surrendered and said, in my heart, Jesus is king. Jesus reigns. Jesus is the ruler of my life. Now, we may venture off, but if Jesus is king, it's not going to be long before the Lord brings us back. And when the kingdom of is established on the inside of it, we can trust that. We can trust that. It's so much easier. 
to trust God at work in each other. Romans 5.17 says this. I feel like I just need to deal with this aspect of control. Because the kingdom can't be established where there's control because you're trying to be the Lord where Jesus must be the Lord. Control is one of the biggest hindrances to the establishment of the kingdom. Because it's not his authority that's been expressed through you. It's your control that's being expressed through you. We're not going to control each other's growth. We're not going to control each other's timing. We're not going to control anything. If it's that way in our marriage, it has to be that way with our kids. Because they aren't yours. They're the king's. And you have the responsibility. We have to deal with this ownership mentality in America. That's why we don't treat our kids right. That's why we don't treat our money right, because we think it belongs to us. But when you, when Christ becomes the ruler of the home, all of a sudden you get this revelation that, wait a minute, this isn't actually mine. This belongs to somebody. You will talk to your kids differently. I wish somebody would come when you realize who they belong to. If you think they belong to you, you talk to them however they want to. But when you see that they belong to a king and they've been entrusted to you to steward, you treat them differently. You treat your money differently. Romans 5.17 says, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful gift, grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it. That we will triumph or reign in this life with Christ or live in triumph over sin. So I just well, I don't got time, but there's this as a believer, you have been removed from under the reign of sin and you've been now placed under the reign of his grace. OK, this is what the kingdom means. It doesn't mean that we have a perfect home. Our home is far from perfect. It, we're constantly we constantly see where we need to be. We're constantly growing. We haven't arrived. We're constantly making mistakes. We're constantly messing up. We're constantly going to bed saying, man, I should not have. But the kingdom's values aren't trying to build a perfect home. That's religion. A kingdom home is not a perfect home. A kingdom home is realizing that we're not perfect, but we have values that say when we do the imperfect, it's okay because it's safe and it's okay to be open and we're not going to hold secrets and we're going to confess it. So there's a value system. But what we're saying is we're going to mess up. We're going to sin. We're going to do those things, but we are deciding who's going to reign here. There's a difference between messing up and who's reigning. Are you seeing what I'm saying? What we're saying is sin is not going to reign in this home. Now, we may slip, but it ain't going to reign. It's not going to rule in this home. It's no longer going to have dominion in this home. Jesus is going to have dominion. We're still in the flesh until we see him. So we're going to slip. We're going to fall. We're going to do all that. But it shall not reign in our home. How can we who have died to sin continue to live in it? That is not a commandment. That's a promise, by the way. Oh, you see it differently. It's not a commandment. It's not a threat. He's not saying how in the world, if you've died to sin, can you be living in sin? No, no, no. He's saying what happened in Christ, what's actually going to happen is you won't have the power to live there anymore. When you sin, you can't live there anymore because of what Jesus has done. That you died to sin because of Jesus. Uh, When I found out that was a promise, it changed my whole mentality. It took me away from trying to work to fulfill that to realize that it's already fulfilled. 
What he's saying is because of what Jesus has done in you, even if you sin, you're going to come back. Come on. There's something that has happened in you that you are no longer okay and you were once under, under sin, but now you're under grace and sin had these promise guarantees and so does grace have promise guarantees. Because you are under grace, he who has began a good work in you shall be faithful to bring it to completion. What he's saying to the believers, it is now impossible for you to continuously and habitually live in sin. It's impossible. You won't be able to live there as a born again believer. You may fall, you may struggle, but his grace, this mighty force of grace is officially, I feel something, at work on the inside of you. Now, everybody write generational. All right. It's not kingdom if it's not generational. It's not kingdom if it's not generational. Let me say it again. Hopefully I get an amen to let me know that you're with me. It is not kingdom if it's not generational. This is so big on my heart because we're not thinking generational. We have to do everything with the next 100 years in mind. If you're not thinking like that, you don't see the kingdom. You're religious. Come on. Come on. <laughs> if you're here in this building right now worshiping and you're not thinking what it's going to look like for their generation, you're religious. Everything we do is for the next generation. That's why there's poverty cycles. That's why, because we don't see the kingdom. And when you don't see the kingdom, you don't see the generations. Everything you do is for you. Let's stuff our kids in a closet somewhere so that we can do the kingdom. Come on. Be real, apostle. The primary purpose of the home is to raise up and release the next generation. The home is where children are discipled. In the church, we have to begin to to empower parents to pastor their children. It doesn't happen two hours out of 168. Let me just be honest with you. What time is it? Oh, my goodness. This is that is ridiculous. Thank you, Amy. That helps me. Sadly, the schools are discipling our children more than our parents. Well, if only they get Jesus back in the school, if you would just have them in your home. <laughs> don't, don't get mad at the school because you're not discipling your kid. Don't get mad at children's church. You are the one that is responsible for the destiny of your children. You are their pastor. That is your first mission. Go out and make disciples. Don't you dare go to Haiti and your children don't know Jesus. Your first responsibility to represent and represent and reproduce Jesus is in the next generation. We're going to read this and we're going to get practical. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. Write that down because it's one that you want to read when you leave here. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. You shall put these words of mine in your heart and soul. Okay. 
It's not in a book. It's not on a shelf. You must put them. That's your responsibility. You must put these words in your heart and your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and fix them as an emblem on your forehead. Verse 19, teach them to your children. That is not to church elders. That is not to children's pastors. That surely ain't to your public school teachers. Our, our children are being discipled by MTV and Disney, and then we wonder why they act the way they, because they are going to act the way of whom they've been discipled by. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise, write them on the doorpost of your home and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied. Your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors. So children are really a byproduct of the environments that they are exposed to at home, in their schools, wherever they go, but they're at home most of the time. And so we have to remember that whatever we pour out into our children, whatever we do negatively or positively, it, they're going to remember those things. You know, they're going to remember when they felt rejected, when they felt lonely, when they felt like nobody was listening to them. Those things they remember, and I love this quote um, from Frederick Douglass, it is easier to build strong children than it is to repair um, broken men. And so when our kids are young, that is the opportunity. That is when God calls us to steward and pour in everything that he has for their purpose and their mission. Because once they're grown up, once we've, you know, if we pour in negativity, it's going to be a lot harder for them to have to heal and walk through process and get over those type of wounds that they suffered as young kids. Um, and really, when kids are young, that is when their theology or their God is being shaped in them. Um, us as parents are their theology. What they see, what they experience at home is who they perceive God as. And so we have to ask ourselves these questions of, are they feeling the Father's unconditional love? Are they feeling safe? Do they feel like they can be truthful um, and not fear of making mistakes? Um, those types of things. Are we presenting God to our children through our everyday life? Um, the way that we interact with them is the way that they will interact with God later on in their lives. And so if you know, we interact in a loving way and that they will be able to feel that God loves them. But if we interact in a way that shows them that we don't care, that we're too busy for them, they're going to grow up thinking, you know, I'm not good enough for God. I'm not good enough to have his love in my life when I mess up. And so it's just important to um, build our children in that aspect. And, you know, when we believe, um, that's all the evidence and the character that our children need. If we believe and they see our, our lives being walked out in a godly manner, you know, they don't ask what ifs. They don't, they're not skeptical at a young age. So the evidence of our belief, the evidence of our love and our pureness and our truth is all they need to know that there is a God and that there is a Father that loves them as much as we love them. And so the love that we pour out to them is the level of love that they're going to feel from the Father. We have to bring our children into the kingdom and release them into the kingdom. We need to bring them into our spiritual walk. A lot of times it's so separate and so isolated. Do you know what God is doing in them? Listen, and do they know what God is doing in you? 
We need to bring them into our spiritual journey. They need to see us walking with God. The greatest thing I can leave for my children is for them to say, I remember seeing my dad repent. I I, I remember coming into the living room one time and he was laying on the floor crying out to Jesus. I remember him repenting to us as kids. I, I remember seeing my parents grab hands when there was trouble and they prayed about it. Come on. Because what are they going to do when they encounter trouble? They're going to do what they were exposed to. They say they prayed about it. So this is what we're supposed to do. Father, we come to you right now. We don't want to show them when there's trouble, we complain and we are. And we we want to show them that this is what you do. Right. So we need to bring them into our lives. A lot of times, especially if you're like really religious, it's like, come on, go, boy, I'm with Jesus. So what is that doing to their theology? Because you're in your devotional time. What that is doing is saying, I don't have access there. I think the way we structure church a lot of times is we think they're going to be the church someday. And God is saying there's no junior Holy Spirit. There's one Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that is in you is in them. And here's the reality of it. The Holy Spirit probably flows more purely through them because they don't have 40 years of wounds. If I need a word from the Lord, I need to hear it from my pure son that isn't coming for his own agenda. Come on, somebody. Isn't coming from his rejection. That is the church right now. And I think how we even structure church is, is there is probably a 5% concern about children's ministry in the majority of American churches. Oh, but we have a church in here, though. And I'm thinking, no, we're not. If we're not thinking generationally. And the way that we structure church is it's kind of like you guys be there while we be the kingdom right now. And then we leave and go have lunch and there's not even dialogue and conversation going on in the home about what God is doing. And then we wonder why the devil is attacking and destroying entire generations. Look at the way we structure church. Here's the sad reality. Because most uh, uh, churches in uh, um, uh, most homes in America are, don't worship in the home, this is our only opportunity for most people to worship together. And if we're worshiping separate all the time here, it's like, hey, fifth Sundays, we're going to have children in here. Oh, my God. Get saved. Oh, first off, let me stop. 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 Help me. Let me stop. Because that is so contrary. <laughs> To the kingdom of God is ridiculous. You should be on your knees on your kids level saying, let's worship Jesus together. What are you hearing right now, son? What are you what are you feeling? What are you? We have to begin to grow together. What you see in America is individual people are growing with Jesus. I got to go. This is we're supposed to be done. We're going to just we have so much more content here is ridiculous. Um, Footnote. It's all about intimacy. We're not adding chores. We're changing our lifestyle. One person can read the word and pray and it be rigorous and religious. And another person can read the read the word and pray and it be refreshing and, and it be life giving because religion is not what you do. It's the place you do it from and the goal you do it for. Religion is on the screen. They have it. Religion is not what you do. It's the place you do it from. We can do the same things and you do it religiously. 
and I do it from the kingdom because it's not what I do. We're saying, oh, we're not religious. Okay, burn the Bibles, man. Burn the Bibles. We're not religious. No, 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 that's not what we're saying. We're saying a lot of times when you change from religion to the kingdom, you do the exact same things. But instead of it being a burden, instead of it being a routine and a chore, instead of it being, oh, my God, I need to do the clothes and I need to wash the dishes and read my Bible. All of a sudden becomes your life. All of a sudden becomes now. This is our motive. This is our place. This is why we do it is for intimacy. That's the goal. The place we do it from is love and desire. And the goal we do it for is always intimacy. Well, no, the goal is to grow deeper in the Lord. Well, only reason why we want to grow deep, deeper in him is to know him deeper. It's still about intimacy. If it's not about intimacy, we're religious. If it's not about knowing him more, we're not trying to add more Bible stuff into our homes. We're trying to be more intimate with Jesus because we can add a lot of stuff and we still not know him anymore than before we added all the stuff. Now we're just busy with religious activity. So we're not trying to do that. And a lot of times we get religious and there's no intimacy. What we're saying is we want the person of God to dwell with us in our home. We want Jesus to be a part of our family. We want him to be a person in our family that we commune with, that we talk to, like he's here with us. If there was this illustration of a cameras that are posted up in your home and they do not know that your home is Christian, would they be able to determine that this home loves Jesus because they see you interacting, listen, with a person? Do they see another man in the fire? Do they say... This, who is this person that they're spending time with? That there's a person in this home that they love, listen, more than they love each other. Like he's there and he's a person. Each of them talk to him. Each of them spend time with him. Each of them worship him. If there were cameras without words or sound, could the world see that we love Jesus from how we are walking with Jesus in our homes. So true intimacy with God will always produce intimacy with one another. So when two individuals are pursuing God, um, seeking him and being intimate with him, they can then come together and be intimate as a family, as a unit, as a husband and wife or with your children. Um, True intimacy with God means realizing that abundant life will never be found in another person. Therefore, we don't want to place false expectations on our children or our husband or wife to fulfill any needs because those needs will never be met through anybody other than through God. So we have to realize that our identity, our expectations have to be only on Christ and Christ alone. And when we're intimate, we realize when we're intimate with God, we're able to realize that He alone can fill our expectations and meet all of our needs. And then that allows us the freedom to be intimate with our spouse and with our children because now we're not placing um, you know, ex- false expectations on them. And that's where you want to pull away from intimacy is when you feel like, well, they didn't expect, you know, meet this expectation that I had or they didn't fulfill this need that I had in my life. But really, God is the one that can meet, meet every need. And so when we realize that, then we're able to not have to pull away from intimacy with our family. Um, and then, you know, we always want to make sure that we, when we feel angry, we take it to God first and then communicate it with our spouse or our children. Um, it will come from a much better place whenever we communicate our anger or our rejection with the Father when we take it to Him first and then take it to your family and communicate it that way. Um, Otherwise, you know, we're expecting our family 
to give us the answer to our rejection or to give us the answer to why we're angry. But our family can't do that. Only God can give us the answer and heal that wound in us and therefore bringing more intimacy when we do that. Um, and then we want to deal with dirty laundry. Um, you know, dirty clothes can only sit dirty for so long before they stink up the entire environment and the entire atmosphere. Um, don't ask, I haven't did that before. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and so it's the same way with frustration and anger and disagreements. Um, if you let that sit in your family without communicating, without being open and truthful, um, you know, your environment, your atmosphere is going to be begin to get really negative. You're going to want to withhold intimacy because you've been angry for so long. Um, and there's things that need to be uncovered. And so um, just being open, because where there is lies, the enemy has entrance to distort intimacy. Um, and, there, and therefore come in and you think you're being intimate, but really you're you know, doing it in ways by, you know, well, I'm d- cooking dinner for you, but really that's busyness, that's not being intimate, intimate if it's not coming from the right heart. Um, and so where there is truth, God is then able to outpour his love and his true intimacy, which will then overflow into you, into your children, your spouse. Um, and so we don't want to miss the mark by knowing God and not knowing wow. our family. Um, wow. So, yes, start out with seeking God, wow. but then make sure that you flow, overflow that into your family. Otherwise, we get stuck with just like he was saying earlier, you know, just loving God, coming to church. And then we put, by push, we push our kids away, but it's all intertwined, and the home is our mission. So therefore, we have to bring them into our relationship with God. We have to stop. We're literally like halfway, so maybe we extend this series. Um, maybe because we got way too much content. We're not. We haven't done this in a while, and we didn't have the right timing. But man. This, we're going to have to do, we're, we have to still do this. That was our intro. <laughs> to, to set us up for everything else. Hey, but um, man, we got to do this more. I, I, am, I just have this feeling that where God is getting ready to take us is, is going, we're going to change how church is done. Just as a prophetic warning. I would not be surprised if where we go in 2020 and 2021 is we completely restructure how we do this to where we're actually seeing growth. Instead of just coming and worshiping, listening to somebody leaving, like something has to shift because we need breakout sessions right now. We need time for you to get with your family right now before you eat a burger and say, what does this mean for us? Right. But one thing that I that kind of hit me whether it was the Lord or whether it was inspiration, I don't know, was actually do like a house fires conference. But it'd be different than any conference I've seen before in that you have sessions with marriages, you have sessions with sons, with, with, with fathers and daughters being intimate together. You have exercises, you have sessions with mothers and sons being intimate together. We have unique sessions to build intimacy in the home. We take the men, we're able to build into men, we're able to build into women, we're able to have children's experiences, worship together, activate their gifts, and do this whole conference that is uniquely created. What do you think about that? I think we need to pray into that.